let's talk about Nehemiah and rebuilding. But first, coffee. Um, over the past several weeks, we have been taking a closer look at the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It has really been quite a journey for this cupbearer to the king of Persia to go ahead and spearhead a sweeping effort to restore the wall of Jerusalem and revive the morale of God's people. So a couple of weeks back, we learned that, the, that focused faithfulness completes God-given good works in how Nehemiah was really resolute. He and all his leaders were resolute um, to be strategic and to mobilize the people so that uh, at the end of chapter 6, I believe, uh, they were able to boast that the wall had gotten finished in no less than 52 days, which for a whole city and like the barrier of a city whose walls were pretty decimated, that is a staggering report. And that was with all kinds of opposition from outside, from inside, from all over the place. It was, it was a hard time for them, but they made it through. And with the wall finished, uh, we began to see the people waking up uh, as such and really kind of in, in their morale, really coming back to life. They were experiencing what we would call a revival today. Uh, with both form and fire, we saw that God's people are formed around and by worship and that God's unfailing love is the fire that makes us come alive. And so both with that organization piece and that passion for God, we saw God's people come alive. So at this point in Nehemiah's story, the people, they're all desiring God and his word. Um, And they reinstituted the celebration of the Feast of Shelters because they were reading through the Old Testament law and found, hey, it's October. It says that in October we need to, they didn't call it October back then, but, you know, at that time, we need to celebrate this festival. Guys, why don't we do this? And so they spread the, the word around so that they could celebrate and remember and reflect on this journey that, the, that God's people had taken from the land of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land and reflecting on God's faithfulness through it all. Last week, we saw how after a whole month of these people listening to the scriptures being read to them day in and day out and studying God's word and celebrating and feasting together, they, they all gathered for what they call a solemn assembly where they were going to confess as, as a whole group their sins to the Lord. And through the comparison last week that we saw in their prayer, there was a, a contrast between the things they recognized God did all throughout their history and the way they acted. And there was a contrast there that really revealed that, you know, God's love never fails his people, even when they do. Um, And so through that comparison, that's what we saw. Now, that all brings us to our time today. Uh, You can go to the next slide. Go ahead, love. There we go. My daughter Maggie is doing slides for me today. Isn't that amazing? She's, she's rocking it. So the title for today's message is Walk in the Promise. 
walking in the promise. Or in our main passage today is Nehemiah 10, verses 28 through 39. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that walking with God promotes, preserves, and protects our covenant with Him. So you can go to the next slide. Walking is so simple and so natural and so basic that some of us take it for granted. And yet walking is really a powerful action in our lives, wouldn't you agree? Uh, the impact that walking has on our bodies cannot be overstated. Uh, it's one of the healthiest and most sustainable forms of exercise a person can do, so I'm told. Uh, walking uh, engages our entire bodies. It strengthens our hearts. It gives us that good cardio, and it expands our lung capacity. Walking is a holistic calibrating practice for us physically, and it also happens to be a sweeping metaphor that we see woven all throughout the Bible. The Bible says that in the beginning, man and woman walked with God in the Garden of Eden. Further on down the family tree, uh, there was a man named Enoch who was described as a man who walked with God, and uh, they enjoyed that walk so much that they just kept going, and one day Enoch just disappeared and he never died. Uh, that's in the Bible, by the way. You should check it out. Um, the psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, blessed is the man uh, who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5 says, come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And again, God was saying to his people in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Walking is simple, and yet it is a powerful metaphor that describes the life of faith. So for God's people, having experienced such an amazing overhaul, some of you might remember the, the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition. This was like Extreme Makeover God's People's Edition, right? Um, for lack of a better phrase. Anyway, but they experienced such an overhaul uh, that uh, both physically and spiritually that they gathered in Jerusalem for this special meeting between them and the Lord, where they were going to confess their sins. We covered that last time. And they were also going to recommit to a promise that they'd made way back when to the Lord. So let's see what God has to say to us through the life of Nehemiah and the people at that time. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Nehemiah 10. Nehemiah chapter 10, beginning in verse 28. I know we're skipping over a bunch of names, you can thank me later. Um, these people are all important, by the way, but I'm pretty sure we've read their names before. And so, um, not that we shouldn't need to read them again, but I digress. So, picking up in verse 28. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves 
from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to be careful, or, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. Hallelujah. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. For the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feasts and at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees and of our new wine and olive oil, and we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to <clears throat> accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. Amen. What I first see in our passage today, you can go to the next slide, is that walking in the promise promotes holiness with submission and obedience. Walking in the promise promotes holiness with submission and obedience. So starting in verse 28, we see that all the people had gathered together in that place to make a covenant to follow and obey God. The importance of that moment is underscored by the harrowing words that are used there in verse 28, curse and oath. An oath because they were promising something to God and a curse because if they broke that promise, there would be a result, a, a consequence of breaking that promise. 
And all of this carries a ton of weight in light of everything that we covered last week in their prayer of confession. Their families and ancestors did not have a great track record, friends, of following through on their commitment to God. Uh, Even though God had called them to be holy and to be set apart as He is holy, they missed the mark 99.9% of the time, it seems. And yet, here is a pledge that we see in black and white that they are pledging to enter into this covenant with the Lord, a curse and an oath. So let's dig in deeper to what they were committing to. So God's people were committing their lives to live their lives according to what God had said through Moses, what was written down by uh, the leader Moses who had led them out of Egypt uh, to the promised land. He didn't get to go inside. That's a whole other topic for another day. Uh, They were going to be careful to obey what God had prescribed for his people in his law. The covenant here gives two specific examples The first is that they weren't going to intermarry with the people of the surrounding nations, bringing them back into step with what's written in Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 6. The second example given is that they were going to make sure that they kept a weekly Sabbath and other days that were set apart to be holy to the Lord. They even had committed that they were going to take the year-long Sabbath every seventh year as they were supposed to according to uh, Deuteronomy uh, 5, 12 and Deuteronomy 13, 15 through 22. What I love about these two examples is that they gave, uh, what they gave is that they really get to the heart of the matter for these people. God's covenant with Israel is exclusive. He chose them out of all the nations of the earth to be his people following the law that prohibits intermarriage, uh, as we read last week, um, it actually sets them up for success. It helps them win and and follow through on that covenant to their fidelity with God, because intermarriage would lead their hearts away from God and uh, provoke His wrath. Following the Sabbath laws, they would reorient the people's entire lives around communion with God. God's not in it just for what we can offer Him. He wants our hearts. He's in it for a relationship. And by following and obeying those two laws and others like them, these practices actually promote and help them stay true to their God and their covenant with Him. Just like in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, the traditional wedding ceremony, that most of us hear on a Hallmark movie every now and then. The script reads under the heading, Declaration of, Con- of Consent, saying, Will you have this man to be your husband, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live? Forsaking all others being exclusive. The people of Israel were saying to God that he was their God and they were his people. And that they intended to go forward to to walk that out, so to speak, walking in the promise to be holy and completely his and his alone. 
They weren't going to go chasing after those other gods like they'd done before. This was it. They counted the cost, and they were basically saying, God, you're worth it. We're committing to it. So what about us? Are we willing to submit to God and be obedient to His will and His way for our lives? Now, I'm not talking about just, you know, following each and every commandment in, in the Bible. We're under grace. I understand that. What I'm saying is that when God speaks and He says something to you, will you listen? And then will you follow through on that thing? Will you obey? Will you submit to His leadership in that way? Or not? The truth is, walking with God promotes, preserves, and protects our covenant. That's our relationship with Him in Jesus for us, right? And it all comes down to whether we're going to trust what He says or not. Israel made their choice. What will yours be? The second observation I have from our text today is that walking in the promise preserves worship with care for the house. Preserves worship with care for the house. So included in the terms of this covenant, so there's that declaration of intent. We, we, uh, oh, oh, where's it at? Here, let's see. The declaration of intent saying, you know, um, all these now join together and bind themselves with a, uh, an oath and a curse to follow God and his law. Okay, so then following that declaration of, in, uh, of intent, then there's the list of things that they're saying they're going to do. And in that list, we see included in those terms a commitment to sustain the operation of the house of God, the temple, through their faithful support. <clears throat> Again, just like before, there are two key examples that um, are given of how they intend to actually walk this out. So the first is found in verse 33. They pledge to bring bread for the table. Uh, that's the table of showbread that was in the holy place of the temple um, and other in grain for the offerings. The second is that in verse 34, they pledge to provide wood to fuel the fire for the bronze altar um, that is at the entrance of, or it's one of the first things you see when you enter into the temple. We don't have time to unpack all the elements of the tabernacle or the temple. We'll eventually cover that in the series all on its own. Today, though, here's what we need to know about the table of showbread and the bronze altar. The table <coughs> signified communion with the Lord, and the altar signified signified reconciliation, being made right with God. When people would enter the court, the outer court of the temple, <clears throat> there's that tickle in my throat, here we go, they had to deal with their sin and be purified in order to approach God in worship. For believers today, we approach God on account of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. <clears throat> His blood speaks a better word, and because we are in Christ, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness because in Christ there is forgiveness by his blood and freedom in his name. Amen? And so the table and the altar uh, were places where connection with God was made. 
Uh, they, were, they were tools, they were representative, they were uh, ways of facilitating this meeting between the people and the Lord. And so the people of Israel, they committed to supporting the service and the ministry that happened there in the house of the Lord. So physically they committed to provide bread and grain and wood. And with things like these, the priests and Levites were supposed to put them to use in order to facilitate that meeting between God and his people. Spiritually, what was going on is they were committing to worship and devotion. And through their faithful support, the ministry of God's house would not be neglected and would not lack what was needed to keep that going. So how does this apply for us today? What can we bring in order to contribute to the ministry of the house on the corner of Laurel and Rhodey here in Florence? I'm, I'm glad you asked. That's right. So physically speaking, the most important offering you can make is your actual physical presence here. Uh, regularly attending weekly worship gatherings, participating in small group fellowship times, whether that's a small group that meets this afternoon <coughs> or a Bible study like the ladies are having. Uh, guys, we need to start one up. <laughs> but, you know, so, or something where we're participating together, our presence is together. And um, also being present at work party events and things. So as an example, if we were to have an all-church workday where we really spruced the place up and we were, you know, bringing out the, oh, what's that? Like uh, the wood polish kind of stuff and polishing the wood or, or really vacuuming or maybe we painted the walls, I don't know. But the sky's the limit, right? But physically speaking, there's, there's things that we can do together. You are the greatest offering that you can bring. Uh, the, uh, the proverbial wood that you can bring to the altar is your time and your presence here with us. Uh, beyond this, there's also those practical areas of our church that need to be kept up on and restored. Uh, like I know that we've been talking throughout our whole series that our church needs to be restored. There are walls that do need to be painted um, not just the ones in the kids' classrooms, but uh, if you look around, there's certain spots where, hey, we might need to paint that wall. Um, <clears throat> doors that need repairing. There's a whole list of physical things uh, that our trustees have uh, put together that need to be addressed. We, we're just a small crew, so if you have that burden on your heart that you'd like to contribute in that way, come and talk to uh, the leadership, and we'll We'll find a way to help you plug in. You could offer up your time and your physical energies to help with some of those repairs. Spiritually speaking, what can we offer to the Lord? Again, one of uh, the ways that we may apply this is to make sure that we're personally carving out time for intimacy with the Lord. Practices like actually opening the Bible and reading it. Journaling, prayer, worship, uh, even our togetherness as a community of faith, all of that supports and maintains our local church, spiritually speaking. And, you know, this element is even more important than the physical 
because people are more important than buildings. Because without that spiritual peace, we're just spinning our wheels, playing religion games, and we're in danger of uh, 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 you know, failure in life and health in our church body. So these are not exhaustive application points or, you know, these ideas. But if walking with God promotes, preserves, and protects our covenant, then it is most definitely also included that it, we need to support the local house of God, both spiritually and physically. Preserving the place of worship with our care for the house ultimately advocates for our intimacy with the Lord. Israel took ownership of that responsibility in that covenant. What will you do? The third thing I observe in our passage is that walking in the promise protects relationship with trust and attention. It protects relationship with trust and attention. They state at the end of these terms of their covenant, they say that beautiful phrase. I love how just oh, resolute it is. We will not neglect the house of our God. The truth is that the integrity of their covenant rose and fell on the attention they were going to give to God in his house. And God provided for his house through the faithful stewardship of his people. So there are now three examples that are given that they intended to practice in order to show their terms in, uh, of the covenant. Those are, they are going to offer the first fruits of their crop, the redemption of the firstborn children and livestock, and also giving the tithe. The offering of the first fruits was made at the festival of harvest at the start of the harvest season and was the best of the crop that the fields had to yield at that time. It signified the farmer's trust in God to provide the remainder of the crop throughout the rest of the season. The redemption of the firstborn, it recognized that God had a claim on the firstborn, that they belonged to him. Moses recorded this requirement in Exodus 22, saying, do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. And the practice of the tithe, of the tithe, really, was literally the people's contribution to the storehouse of God's house. And with their tithes of grain, fruit, wine, and olive oil. The offerings of physical means supported the house of God in order to sustain and maintain the place that the people received from spiritually. It all comes down to trust and attention. Though these practices were specific to the nation of Israel, the call to all of God's people throughout the ages is this. Do you trust him? I know it's, it's a real simple, easy question, but it's hard to answer sometimes. Do you trust him? Our answer actually speaks volumes to the state that our souls are in, in relation to God. You know, God rescues, he redeems, he restores. 
all because he loves us. It's his grace for us. But more often than not, we let our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups define us instead of the love of our good, good God that has come to bring us healing and wholeness to our lives, to bring us into the life that he has for us. This is actually, it's a foreshadow of the invitation of the good news that Jesus Christ offers to you and to me today. Every time we practice trusting in something or someone, we open up ourselves to being vulnerable. And with most people and things this side of heaven, people fail us. People break our hearts. Things break. But our God is faithful. His love is constant and unfailing. We can trust him. You can trust him. The other side of that commitment to protecting our covenant with the Lord, walking with him and following his ways in obedience, is giving our attention to him. We were made to worship. And so we're going to worship something or someone, whether we intend to or not, we're going to worship something or someone. If we neglect the place in our lives that bears God's name and we, where we experience his presence, we will end up filling that void with lesser things. This covenant is not just about a house. It's really about intimacy. You know, we live in probably the most distracted generation that's ever been. <clears throat> I've heard it said recently that right now, the most valuable thing that any of us has to offer to our human connection is our attention. Technology has only amplified this fact. You know, as an example, uh, I confess to you that this has been a scenario that's played out. We can be watching TV while reading our tablet devices while scrolling through social media on our phone, while our smartwatch buzzes at us to let us know how many steps we've done or that we need to stand up because we haven't met our standing goal for the day. Yes, I, uh, I don't like it. Anyway, that can happen all while sitting next to your best friend. And eating, exactly. See, you've just added another thing. Thank you, Virginia. Now, for those of you who are anti-technology, I see you out there, there are even things that fight for your attention as well. None of us get out alive on this one, um, you know, uh, unless we do one thing, walk in the promise with God. Pursue the Lord with the same commitment that you look for the right channel on your TV to watch. Oh, I got to keep going. Nope, that's not interesting. Nope, nope, that's not interesting. I have the worst time picking a show on Netflix. I will just sit there for like a half hour because nothing's good. <laughs> anyway, I digress. What would happen if we did pursue the Lord with that kind of fervor 
that kind of passion. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy things in life. It doesn't mean that you never get to watch TV. It doesn't mean that you never get to have a smartwatch that bugs you half the day and everything. Like, that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying technology is bad. I'm saying, though, what if we gave our attention to Him? Walking with God promotes, preserves, and protects our covenant with our trust and our attention. So, let me ask you, as we wrap up our series... We've been talking about rebuilding. And, and there's, you know, like I mentioned before, there's a lot of physical things. If you were to look around this building here, there's things that need to be fixed. I'm sure if we went to your house, you know, there's things that probably need some attention as well. Hey, I'm, I'm speaking to my own self too, brother. <clears throat> I'm sure if, if we were to sit down and talk about what's going on in our lives, there's probably some parts that need some attention, that need rebuilding, that maybe, if we're honest, break our hearts a little bit, that maybe we've been demoralized in some way because that thing has been left in ruin for far too long. I think the invitation of Nehemiah has been that it's okay to give attention to those things. It's okay to, to get into the mess and the rubble and to try to figure out, God, what do you want to do today? How do you want to restore me today? Because that's the love of our God. He cares about you. And I know that, you know, in our flesh we're sinful and we're broken, and I get that. But I also know that the Holy Spirit has come, that God has offered his Holy Spirit to his people to say, to be the comforter and to guide us into all truth, to remind us of what Jesus has taught, and also to start to refine and restore and to uh, help us become more like Jesus and to be made to be made whole and, and healthy again in that way. My heart for you is that I want you to experience some kind of rebuilding. I don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, I, I don't know if it's just a personal thing or if it's just us as a whole group that we rebuild together. But my heart, as we go into the next season, is that we would together be a people about restoring things. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about um, our vision as, as a group, that us as a leadership, we, we met, we put it together, and um, there's this vision about restoring hope in our community one person at a time. I'm really excited for the season ahead. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week. Um, but I really believe God wants to do something new here uh, in you and in us. Let's pray.